you can have a seat. I know you want to stay in that all night long, and I promise we will continue in the worship um, through singing. I think it's probably one of my favorite aspects of the circle is the freedom just to spread out, to worship, to do it exactly with, there's, there's no rules, there's no obligations. We just get to sing and dance and do all the things. And it's, it's honestly such a blessing that we have people who will lead us in that, but that they want us to find our own space in that singing, right? Um, incredible. The other, um, if, if I say the word worship, though, I think we get two basic concepts of worship in our mind. And the first one is singing, what we're doing here and what we're doing here. That's a form of worship. I think the other form of worship that we think, like when I say, are you going to worship today, is going to church or going to the circle or going to youth. And that that is also a form of worship. And those are our basic two concepts of the term. I'm going to work tonight to expand your thought process when it comes to what is worship and what does the Bible say about the power that comes through worship. So I want your minds and your ears and your hearts open that to that tonight. And so let's pray that right now. Father God, we are coming into this space because we want to learn more about what your word says. Um, we dive deeply into the word because we believe it to be true and there are no constraints on time, and there are no constraints on situations, Lord Jesus, but the word is as alive today as it was the day that it was written, and we praise you for that, Father God. So let us hear your word of God, and let, us, let it become deep into our roots and our souls. In your name we pray, amen. So tonight I'm going to talk about 2 Chronicles, and if you saw the social media post, I said bring your Bibles, because this is super fun for me, and it's really what it's about, is making this fun for me. I'm kidding, but I want to share what's fun for me with what's fun for you. I want to show you something that can be so extraordinarily fun about the Word of God. And I'm in 2 Chronicles, and that's about 13 books in. If you're counting, if you want to look for it now, I'm going to let you. If you brought your Bible, app, if, you brought, if you don't have your Bible, you can look in your Bible app. While, I'm, while you're finding 2 Chronicles, we're going to be in chapter 20. I need to give you just a tiny little back. You know what? Actually, I just want to say this real quick. I noticed that Bill is not here tonight. Are you here, Bill? Bill, Bill, Bill. Bill's not here tonight, and I got to tell you a little bit about Bill. Bill's that guy in the sermon, in the service, who when he hears the word of God and he agrees with it, he goes, come on, or that's good. Doesn't he do that? He said, come on, or uh-huh, or oh yeah, and he's not here tonight, um, and, and that doesn't mean that doesn't have to happen. If, if you hear a word from God tonight, or if you hear something coming out of my mouth that you believe aligns with the word of God, you have permission to be the Bill of the night and say, come on. Okay, or whatever it is you say. Um, so anyway, we're back to Second Chronicles. Here's the important information that you need to have prior to diving into chapter 20. Come on. King Jehoshaphat is currently in Second Chronicles chapter 20 in charge. He is an incredible king for two reasons. Um, one, he's wise, but two, more importantly, he listens to God. He's one of the rare kings who is to be considered 
devoted to the ways of the Lord. That's what 2 Chronicles 17 says about him, and that's what makes him such a good king. So when we get to 2 Chronicles 20, which is where I'm going to be talking from tonight, King Jehoshaphat, this really good king who listens to God, is in a little bit of a mess. You see, and I'm going to use an illustration tonight because I'm, I'm a teacher and that's what I do. So here's King Jehoshaphat. This is a king. Oh, good one, Angela. Thanks. For those of you listening on the podcast, these are chess pieces. It's cool. But the problem is that King Jehoshaphat, in his goodness and his willingness to follow God at all costs, has some enemies. Okay? And if you're looking in your Bibles and you're reading verses 1 and 2 right now, you see that the enemies are Moab, the Ammonites, and the guys from Mount Seir. They are his enemies. They are super salty about the fact that Jehoshaphat puts God as God. So they've decided that they're just going to rally the troops, work together, and take down King Jehoshaphat. That's where we are. Some men, verse 2, came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army, these guys right here, are coming after you. Fair warning. Now I'm going to be talking out of the message version of the Bible tonight. Yours may look a little different, but this is such good stuff in whatever version you're in. So here we are. King Jehoshaphat has just gotten word that these guys are all bound together and they're coming after King Jehoshaphat. Verse 3, this is so, so good. It says, shaken, Jehoshaphat prayed. I want to acknowledge two things here. First of all, Jehoshaphat, who listens to the Lord and is devoted to the Lord, is not immune to bad things happening to him. (laughs) This is a bad thing happening to him. Can I get an amen on that? Come on. Thank you. Come on. There it is. There it is. Not immune to the bad things happening to him. And to be honest, verse 3, he is shaken. Your NIV version might say alarmed. Other of your versions say frozen in fear. Some of them say under attack. But here's what they say in verse 3, alarmed or shaken, Jehoshaphat prayed. Honestly, I could end the sermon right now and that's enough. When you are alarmed, shaken, frozen in fear, pray but I'm going to keep going. You are welcome. He went to God for help and ordered a nationwide fast. So he's he's going to pray, but he's going to get all of his believers up in here with him. And so he orders a nationwide fast and they all begin to pray. I'm in verse three. uh, I'm still in verse three. They all from cities of Judah pray to God. And then Jehoshaphat, verse five, takes a position before the people of Judah And he prays. Okay, so he's taken a place. He's in the temple, super important. And he begins to pray to all the people. They are also PS under attack. And he begins to pray. This prayer that Jehoshaphat prays, which probably is indented in your Bibles, quite possibly, maybe, maybe not, is crazy important as a model prayer for those who are Shaken. This is a model prayer for those who are frozen in fear. This is a model prayer for those who have enemies coming at them. And let's be honest tonight, you are either currently here, you have been here, or you will be here. Come on. So look at the prayer closely. Verse 6. 
God, God of our ancestors, are you not God in heaven above all? You hold all of the power and the might in your fist. No one stands a chance against you. The first thing that he does in his prayer when he, when he gathers their attention is he ascribes to God's power. Before he does anything else, he says, God, you are so God. He acknowledges this almighty King of kings, Lord of lords, first before he does anything else. And then it keeps going. Verse seven, he says, and didn't you make the natives of this land leave when you brought us here? Didn't you turn this land over to us? Man, y'all, this is so good. He is recalling God's past protection. I told you this was a model prayer. And the reason I say that is because you can do this too. When you've got the enemies coming up against you, number one, you ascribe to his power. You call him out. You say, Lord, you are God. You are almighty. You are in control. You are omniscient. You got this, Lord. And two, you recall his past protection. So Jehoshaphat's talking about land here, but this became really real to me. God was so sweet to me. About, About two years ago, he taught me this concept of prayer, this concept of recalling past protection. This was two years ago, and my son, I'm a mom, um, and I have a son who was beginning to struggle in school, not, not with grades, but just behavior. He had a lot of, in, I, hey, by the way, I got his permission to tell this story, so don't be gasping. He's cool. Shout out to Will. Thank you, son. Um, but he was struggling in school, and here's why. Because Will is too much. there's where the amen comes in. (laughs) Will is too much. He's honestly, sometimes he's too funny. He's too gregarious. He's too charismatic. He's too full of energy, honestly. And I cannot for the life of me figure out where he gets it. (laughs) Genetics, so weird. But really, he is Um, If you're trying to teach a class and there are 25 others in the room, sometimes too much. And so we joke about that, but here's what happened. Will, with all of his energy inside, was becoming like a distraction. People wanted to listen to Will, not the teacher. Go figure. So his teachers began emailing me, and then I would get the phone calls. And then because he was doing other things and being funny, he wasn't turning in work, and so his grades were slipping. It was a whole thing. And so in our home... Um, it became a thing, right? Now, I said I'm a mom. I'm, I'm a praying mom. And what I saw was that this struggle for my son was beginning to break his heart, and it was definitely breaking mine. So I began to pray. And I, and I remember this so clearly. I was, I was crying. I was in my war room and I was, I was crying and I was saying, God, help me. Help me to be a better mom. Help me to sh- show me what I need to do to help Will because I don't want to smother who he is because you created him to be this abundantly joyful, bright, charismatic, fun, funny guy. So Lord, help me know how to parent him properly. And I was weeping and praying and the Lord in the most gentle way just whispers, a reminder to me to recall his past protection. 
You see, with both of my kids, um, I had to do routine ultrasounds when I was pregnant with them. And we already had a two-year-old daughter, also loud and bubbly and um, gregarious. And so Brian and I really genuinely wanted a boy. And so we were headed into our 20-week ultrasound with high hopes. Spoiler alert, <laughs> it was a boy, no kidding. And we were really excited about that, and we laughed together, and we cried tears of joy for a hot second. Um, but then the doctor asked Brian to take a seat. And the doctor asked me uh, to sit up and, because he wanted to talk to us for a second, and he begins to explain that my child at 20 weeks had what's called a choroid plexus cyst. See, it's this, it's this cyst inside of his brain, and it's full of fluid. And it's, it's big, um, and, and we can't fully determine yet what it is. Because here's the deal, he explained. Um, only 1% to 2% of fetuses have a choroid plexus cyst. And two things could occur. Either in the next 20 weeks of gestation, that choroid plexus cyst would begin to dissolve and it would, the body would just absorb it and it would resolve itself and he would be born perfectly healthy and, and it was a non-issue. But in a third of the cases, 33% of the cases, a choroid plexus cyst indicated trisomy 18. Trisomy 18 is a birth defect where you have an extra chromosome 18. And the prognosis for trisomy 18 is that because of the organ abnormalities that form in the fetus, they don't usually even live to birth. And if they do, they do not live long afterwards. And that's the news that my husband and I got at 20 weeks. So we said, you know, what do we, what do, we do now? And the doctor said, you wait, and you pray. And we did both for four weeks. We waited, and we prayed. Now, obviously, you know that my healthy 15-year-old is causing trouble for his teachers in high school, so the story ends up quite joyful. After four weeks, the cyst had reduced. By, 20, by 36 weeks, the cyst was almost gone, and at birth, it was completely gone. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And in the moment when I'm on my knees, weeping at my 15-year-old and the way that he is struggling in school and how hard this is, the Lord says, remember my past protection. I knitted him in your womb. I created him to be exactly who he is. Trust me. I'd like to argue that that's a form of worship. And we don't always think of that as, as a form of worship, right? Earlier, earlier in, in tonight's conversation with you, I said basically worship is either singing songs or attending church. And I would argue tonight that recalling past protections is a form of worship. We are exalting him as the one who's been in control, who's currently in control, 
and who will forever be in control. So I'm back to the word here. And we're moving into verse, sorry, I got a little excited about that one, verse 8. So Jehoshaphat commits to the, in front of the public, he says, in verse 8, you're following along in the word still. They've, he says, God, you didn't drive out the inhabitants of this land before Israel and give it for the descendants. They've lived in it and built a sanctuary. He says, if calamity comes upon us, now I'm in NIV, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine The message version says, when the worst happens, whether war or flood or disease or famine, we take our place at the temple. It's a form of worship. Choosing to stand in his presence no matter what is coming at them, war, famine, disease, illness, anxiety, discipline, relationship problems. We stand in his presence and literally just showing up and standing in his presence is worship. Y'all, that's why we encourage you to go to Acts groups. That's worship. It's why you go to healing prayer nights. It's why you come to worship nights. It's why you're here right now to stand in his presence. Jehoshaphat continues. We take our place in this temple and we cry out. We pray out our pain and trouble. We pray out our pain and trouble. Because because letting him in through prayer, letting him know every icky detail creates relationship. So when you cry out, When you let him in, you are creating that relationship, and that is also worship. I'm going to be honest with you, though. I think we're pretty good at that, the crying out and telling him what's going on and the telling him the struggles. I I don't think that's where we struggle. So I'm going to ask you a question. It's a hard one, and I don't want you to be mad at me. I want you to seriously reflect, and I want you to answer this question for yourself. How often are you ascribing to his power? How often are you claiming the words of Psalm and saying it out loud because you know of a God who is almighty and omniscient and all-powerful, and you are acknowledging that through your words through your singing, through your actions, through your behaviors as your first step. And how often are you recalling his past protection? And I don't mean, God, thank you for all that you've done. That's nice, and I'm not knocking that, but I'm saying, how often do you sit and meditate on every little detail of every great way that God has walked you to this point. You see, here's King Jehoshaphat, and this is his sitch, and he still stands and recalls what God has done. And if the answer to either one of those is honestly, Angela, not much, don't beat yourself up. Don't. 
Just write it down and begin to do it. And the more you do it, you create a habit, a habit of worship. The final thing is this, and I will be so real with you right now. These are my favorite nine words of tonight's text because they convict me the most. And I'm like, bring on the conviction, Lord, I want more of you. This is so good right here, verse 12. You can look at your text, I'm gonna look at mine. Mine says, and it follows up, it says, we take our place before the temple, we cry out to you, and here it goes, my favorite nine words, we know that you will listen and give victory. Not we hope. We know that you will listen and give victory. There is such power in that. That's actually a form of worship. When you say, oh, I don't doubt you. I don't doubt you for a second. When you exercise wholeheartedly your faith, you are worshiping God with your faith. We know that you will listen and give victory. Come on, Lord, that my prayers would be so mighty that when I lift them up to you, I end everyone with, we know that you will give us victory. That's a message in and of itself. Can I get an amen? But it's not over in Second Chronicles or for us. So here's what happens. He finishes the prayer, and then a priest in the crowd is moved by the Holy Spirit to speak, and he does. Okay, you with me now? He's right here. And he says, I've got a word from God, verses 14 through 17 right here. I'm going to do a little bit uh, uh, of paraphrasing here, but he says, I've got a word from God. So a little prophetic word here. And he says, Attention, everybody, I'm in the message version. All of you from out of town, all of you from Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, God's word, and here's God's word. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Do not be discouraged by this vast army, because the battle is not yours. That Moab is not your battle to fight. That Ammonite is not your battle to fight. Those guys from Mount Seir, not your battle to fight. That battle is God's war. These words from verse 15, I cling to them. And, and here's, here's part of why, because they're repeated throughout the word of God. Moses says that too, right? In Exodus 14, 13, what does Moses say? He says, Guys, people, people, don't be afraid. Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Isaiah 41.10 says the same. Don't fear. I got you. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my right hand. That's God's promise. He continues and he says, here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow, you're going to go. You're going to march. I do want you to suit up, but you're going to march. You're going to march toward the, the, uh, the, your opponents, but you're not going to have to fight. And then he repeats it. Don't be afraid. Don't waver. March out boldly. God is with you, but you're not going to have to lift a hand to battle. So here's the promise from God before it even happens. God's like, just show up but I'm, I'm going to do the fighting for you. And when Jehoshaphat hears that word from God, his very next act 
is to worship. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat hears, don't be discouraged, I got this, and his neck in the next two lines. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judea and Jerusalem fell down in worship. Some of the Levites even praised the Lord with a very loud voice and flailing hands. Nothing about their situation has changed yet. Their current status is still quite grim. But the Lord of God has said, this battle's not yours, it's mine. And so before God even lifts a finger, they bow and they praise and they worship. I'm telling you guys, the power of worship is everything. And so so Jehoshaphat has this idea. He's like, okay, I'm definitely going to do that. I'm going to talk to these, I'm going to talk to my people and here's what what we're going to do. We are going to suit up for battle. We're going to put on our gear. We're not going to fight, but I'm going to put choirs on the front lines. He does that. Look, it says it right there in the word of God. It says, after consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord. And they went out ahead of the army singing, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. So here we are. We're in the battle. Enemies all around us. And King Jehoshaphat, despite the fact that he's got a great army full of fully suited and fully weaponed men, puts choirs of worshipers in the front row. And here's what happens, and you can follow along in your Bible. This is the Angela Carter version, but here's what happens. The Moabs and the Ammonites go and they get confused. They're coming after Jehoshaphat, but they get confused and they actually begin to attack the people from Mount Seir. Kill them, wipe them out. They're dead. What's happening? More confusion ensues. They begin to turn on one another. Enemies turning on one another. And all of a sudden, everyone is dead because in the word of God, it says, the Lord set ambushes. And King Jehoshaphat and his army walked up And this is what they see. Worship. Every aspect of it. Every aspect of that worship. Ascribing to his power. Recalling what he's done in the past. Every aspect of it. Including standing in his presence and and crying out to him. And exercising his faith. All of that was actually a form of spiritual warfare. Here's what I need you to understand. Worship is not just a response to how good God is. Worship is a weapon of spiritual warfare. What happened in this scene for Jehoshaphat, all he did was praise. All he did was worship. All he did was bow down. For the battle was not his. It was God's. 
So now here's my question for you tonight. What's your Moab? What's your Ammonite? What's your stack of enemies that's coming at you right now and you got nothing? The word of God is telling you that your worship is enough. That he's fighting for you. And all you have to do is praise. All you have to do is worship. And God will fight your battles. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's.